This episode of Sport Media and Tech, Mark Hotchkin and I spend time with Corey Scott from Facebook talking about social media activations and how to engage with your fans online. Stay tuned to learn more. So, Corey, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be here. All right. So, we appreciate you taking the time. And, you know, our, our students are always asking, you know, how, how can they get experience? How can they learn new technology? Um, you know, they always ask, what's the social media of the future? Facebook and Instagram are so prevalent in their everyday life. Um, and so, you know, before we jump into the topic of the day, I just want to ask you, how did you get your start in the industry and what was your path uh, to your role today? Sure. So it, it was interesting because I, I went to Florida A&M University and was part of the business school program where you got your undergraduate and your graduate degree. Um, when I first started in marketing, most of it was based on going to grad school, getting an MBA, then finding your marketing path. I think it's changed a lot over the years where you don't necessarily need an MBA, but it all started with uh, the usual working and then uh, finding internships in that specific area. So I looked at uh, marketing opportunities when I was in college, um, working at uh, Sara Lee and Weyerhaeuser and some other areas within marketing, primarily B2B. Um, and then kind of that's how I got in initially and then tried to transition over to consumer where kind of my passion was. So I think ultimately it started in college. And then once you start your career, you start building relationships, figuring things out, gaining initial experience in the field. And then earlier in your career, you can move a lot quicker than you can younger when you're a little bit older or more senior in your career. So that's primarily what I did. Um, and then moved to more consumer roles. Uh, and then after a few years in the consumer world, I wanted to transition into tech because I saw that was the future. And so trying to figure out that path from a consumer products company into tech is not necessarily the easiest way. So went to banking first because there are some tech principles in banking. Um, and then after uh, working in banking, then transitioned over into tech at Facebook where I'm at now. Yeah, you know, Corey, I think there's a lot of our students that will be listening to this that would love to have the role or, or get an opportunity to work for Facebook. Um, you know, I, I want you to think back and I want to ask you, what, what were some of the experiences or who were some of the people in your journey that made the biggest impact on your career? Sure. So it was interesting because when I started, um, I kind of was just trying to do everything on my own. It was kind of like, hey, uh, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to go. Because, you know, marketing at the time my, in where I was at was not necessarily the biggest thing. People were, more people were doing consulting, more people were focused on, um, you know, sales or logistics or other types of or finance, um, mainly besides marketing. So it was kind of figuring things out on my own. Um, really being interested in trainings or understanding what's going on. I think the biggest um, learning of my career is when I actually worked at Mars Chocolate, they were huge on training. They forced it like every month, you know, we were off for two days or a day, a full day to go through marketing training. So how to understand how to build a brand, how to talk to consumers, how to be consistent, how to build these things. And then once I started getting deeper into that, I started looking at looking out for other folks to talk to. So if it's professors talking about some things or new ways of doing things, if there's articles that I can be a part of, 
if there's things that I can follow, whether it's ad age or ad week or going to conferences, those are some of the things that I started to do to, to gain more experience or more understanding and then picking up mentors over the way. So, um, you know, right now I have some mentors who are executives, um, you know, are, you know, VPs of marketing or CMOs that have kind of taken me under their wing and to help from a professional standpoint. Um, but I still look for those other areas, whether it's articles, whether it's individuals to have conversations with or, or find through LinkedIn to talk about philosophy and what they're doing and what's new um, to kind of stay on, on top. So I think that's something you can do at any time, even before you have a mentor is just um, go to ad week, ad age, see what's happening, um, see what the industry is doing. Uh, and then being able to, you know, adapt and the people you meet along the way, start building those relationships so that you can um, continue to evolve over time. That's really good advice, Corey, that, that you're sharing. Um, you know, and I do want to ask, uh, you know, for Mars, uh, for the students that made eyes, M&Ms, right? And, and many yes, other, right, many yes. other chocolates in, the, in that, but. Mars, but yeah, I, Mars yeah. chocolate, M&Ms, Wrigley, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, Pedigree, there's a, there's a mm -hmm. ton of stuff they, they, they have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and so I have to ask you, uh, which is your favorite M&M? Which type? Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a milk chocolate person. Uh, I learned to like peanut. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll say this, and any, any chocolate or M&M off the line is the best. So if you ever get to go to a factory, they do public tours. I know during COVID it's not available, but if you ever can make a chance to go to Pennsylvania or New Jersey or wherever they have M&M's factory, I would, I would highly suggest it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah. The one in Times Square is, is pretty neat too. The stores that they have and yeah. that, but uh, you know, you also mentioned uh, earlier, that you had experience with Anheuser-Busch. So I'm curious how that's played into learning uh, for your role today. Sure, I think Anheuser-Busch um, was a very interesting place to work. It was all about activation, all about getting a message out. Um, and it allowed me to do a lot of big things uh, where I've done, you know, worked on a Super Bowl ad or done, you know, uh, led our NFL work and doing things directly, working with teams and activating there or leading things with major influencers and having conversations and, and being able to build large campaigns. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, um, it, it, it prepared me to understand you know, the, the, all the tools that we have in order to reach a customer or a consumer. Um, Anheuser-Busch did everything, digital, TV, online video, events. So there's so many touch points that you have to have, college ambassadors, <laughs> um, of age college ambassadors, I should say. Um, we had so many events that we had to, you know, so many things that you had to do and so many touch points that you had to manage. Um, it made me understand kind of the, the full 360 approach of marketing. And that's kind of one of the things I try to bring everywhere that I go that we need to think more than just a singular channel, even though a channel's great, even though Facebook is great, even though Instagram is great, how do you use those with other tools that you have in your chest to make sure that you're create, building a complete cohesive program that makes sense to the, to the customer? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And obviously some awesome brands you've had an opportunity to work with and, and learn from. Um, definitely Bud Light seems like one to me that always stands out in the sports space of being very relevant and very present. And as you said, across multiple channels. So it's not just that Super Bowl ad, it's what happens after that Super Bowl ad. So looking forward to kind of diving into that. But um, going back to Facebook and kind of what you do now, you joined the team in late 2019. It's obviously been an, a, an eventful time, but talk us through a little bit of your day-to-day, you know, what your role is at Facebook and if and how that's evolved, um, you know, with the, the pandemic. Sure. So I am on the public affairs marketing team. Um, so what I do is I work on making sure we promote a lot of the things that Facebook is doing. So around when COVID-19 hit, we have areas like our community help page, which allows people to offer help or request help depending on where they are in their local communities. So that could be anything from donations, that could be anything from delivering groceries or picking up groceries for someone um, or our business uh, resource hub or things that we were doing there where we're helping out small businesses by showing them or giving them tools on how to get online or transition online or to grow online or to grow their online profile because we know that storefronts aren't as available as they used to be and it may change in the foreseeable future um, and long lines of future and we need to start linking businesses aware of those other opportunities that are there. Um, so those are some things that, uh, you know, that I work on to really uh, build and share that information out. Uh, we just did a recently pushed out some things around a voter information center. Um, uh, which basically is going to be a, a, a shop where we, we made an announcement where we're building, um, um, you know, uh, a, a hub, I, I guess I would say, or uh, an area of our of Facebook where you can understand and register how to get mail-in ballots, how to get, uh, you know, authentic information around voting in your area. So there's a lot of things that we're trying to, that, that I work on to kind of build that narrative and these things move at the speed of light because it's in technology. So my day to day is a lot of building out uh, creative executions um, for a lot of the programs that we're doing, um, you know, across the board to benefit um, primarily in the US, but some things uh, as well in the EU. Um, uh, of, of all the products that we're building um, constantly here at Facebook. Yeah, Corey, you know, something you just shared there uh, hit a note with me, and it's the fact that as so much is transitioning online with COVID, there's a lot of people that need to learn how to engage, how Facebook can help them. And so, you know, the example that I'd share is in, in my past, I, I'd worked for SunTrust, which is a regional bank. Uh, it's now Truist. Uh, we took banking um, statements paperless, and we realized the challenge wasn't the fact that, you know, it was obvious you could save a lot of money and, and be green and save the environment by moving to digital statements. But that wasn't the challenge. That was easy. The technology to do that, everything. The challenge was engaging the middle to small market of mom and pops, of people that had never used online software to read their statements because they were used to pulling out their highlighters and, you know, literally taking it out of the mail and, and doing that. And so the, the question I have for you is, what are some of the resources or where can students go um, to get ahead and learn about all of these new and or not so new, you know, core products and services that Facebook offers businesses to help them in this journey? 
Sure. Um, so we have, um, and I, I don't want to butcher the website names because um, I, I know we have most of those, but um, at facebook.com slash resource um, is our business resource hub. Um, and that uh, has articles, uh, areas and resources of how to utilize Facebook, Instagram, all, and just general information about how to um, succeed with your business online or to do better. Um, and I think those are some things that uh, we're putting out. It's free. Uh, the articles, you're able to look at a lot of things. We're also doing um, a summer of support series, which we are, it's a six week pro, like a six week program that's free. Um, that's focused for small businesses uh, that we're going to be doing different shops where you will have people, entrepreneurs or uh, many, uh, you know, successful entrepreneurs, folks in the, you know, the sports world. I know Magic Johnson did, did a, a presentation and have some different folks from leadership from Facebook who's going to be talking about, um, you know, how to succeed in business in general, but then also have specific things around, um, you know, online uh, best practices and how to really grow an audience and grow up, you know, grow a, you can, from, you know, possibly growing a fan base to growing a customer base, uh, really uh, going into understanding how you interact with folks in those different areas. So we have a number of things that we're really focusing on, especially with small business, uh, that it's free to the public, um, it's open, uh, and there's, it's, uh, you know, it's an easy way to, you know, understand on your time as well, because a lot of these, uh, a lot of these presentations are going to be recorded and available uh, to look as as well over uh, over the next six weeks or so. Yeah, you know, I I think uh, as as we hear about the resources, I think that's one thing I want to encourage you know students and even other industry professionals to always look for the resources that companies like yours put out there to be able to self-teach, everything's recorded, it's, it's easy to get access to it, um, it just takes time. Uh, but you know, I wanna share a little bit of a story. Um, you know, I, I got my start at UCF, another Florida school, um, and then uh, go Knights, and I started working for the athletic department, right? And uh, one of the things, this was almost now, um, this would have been 2011, um, 2011, uh, in so almost a decade ago, uh, the social media environment looked a little bit different, um, you know, in terms of uh, what people were doing, how used to the, the products they were. But one thing we recognized, Corey, was that UCF had a, a fan community and following that was primarily under the age of 35. Um, we had these, you know, these alumni that were between 35 and, and 60 or, or 70 at the oldest because the school was only you know, 50 plus years old at that point. But with that in mind, um, we were looking for a way to engage the audience of 200,000 plus alumni that lived within drivable distance to the stadium. And at that point, we had 4,000 people on a Facebook page. Um, we hadn't put any time or attention towards it. And I have to say, at that point, we reached out, we had meetings and Facebook put their arms around our department and said, we're going to educate you. We're going to teach you how to do this. We're going to help you identify, um, you know, where some of your fans are. But if you put a focus in this area, we believe that you will be able to aggregate this many number of fans. And I'll, I'll you know, the numbers off the top of my head, there was a 10 million people in the state of Florida on Facebook. There was a million within Orlando on Facebook 
that we could interact with. And they were college sport fans. So, you know, I share that to say, you know, I've had personal experience seeing the benefits of an athletic department that had zero investment in social, zero investment in Facebook, literally turned $10,000 into um, millions of dollars in terms of return. So I just want to ask you, um, in, in your perspective role for sport teams, for organizations, what are some of the best ways today now that Facebook and, and especially Instagram has taken a forefront, what are some of the ways they can um, get involved and engage with the tools that you have to offer? Sure. So we have our, and I'll, I'll give an exact uh, website. Uh, it's boostwithfacebook.com is the website of our summer series, which is geared towards small businesses and, and um, has a lot of different workshops, um, presentations on how to, you know, better your business and better your understanding of use of these tools. Um, I think it's always important. A lot of these tools, there are free ways of, of, of getting fundamental understanding of how to use them effectively. Um, you know, Google has this, uh, we have this uh, for Facebook and Instagram and, and can combine that as an opportunity uh, to work off both platforms. Um, there's just a lot of information that is used, uh, you know, to, for free to set this thing, set these things up. I think looking into articles, whether it's, you know, uh, any Harvard Review articles, AdAge, AdWeek, understanding how companies are using this, and then also just exploring and looking and in, in going into the platforms themselves. I think that's always the best way to understand. So if you don't have an Instagram account, get one. If you don't have a Facebook account, get one, um, you know, same with Twitter. And then see how people are using that to build their profile, how they're interacting. Look at other sports teams. If you're looking at sports, see how, you know, certain teams do really, really well. And, and you can also look at the size, right? For example, the NBA is probably the forefront, at the forefront in terms of being social, in social media and building up their profile even though it's not the most popular sport, they had significant, a significant bigger presence than NFL and even NFL teams. And I think one of the things you have to look at is how they're interacting with their teams, how they're interacting with their audience, because at times certain audiences are different. So like a Facebook audience may be more mature because it's a more mature product, while Instagram audience may be a little bit younger. So it's just understanding all those things, looking at the free tools, looking at how teams are using them, looking at how organizations are using them, and then ultimately looking at the partnerships and how they're using them. So a lot of teams work with their players. A lot of teams kind of uh, reinforce their players and making sure their players understand what's going on. And then sometimes their players, if, some, if it's good enough content, will also promote the team. So I think those are things that, uh, you know, understanding how those dynamics work, how to, how to connect with various audiences to build your audience is always very, very important. Yeah, it brings back, Kiel's talking about some of his experience with Facebook. And when I was at the conference, we went through kind of a unique change when we were the Big East Conference. And then throughout the realignment, um, there was a new Big East Conference that was founded. And we sold them the name, sold them the logo, sold them the contract Mass Square Garden. But we actually kept the NCAA charter. And, and one of the big things was keeping who was going to get the Facebook page because we had I forgot what it was, 50,000 fans or something. Um, and that was like a big deal at that point to, to hold on to it. But one of the things, I, once I started being a little bit more active with it, I, one, I would agree that there's 
so many good resources that the the company itself puts out there and so much information in there. And one of the things I remember, you know, again, this is probably six, seven years ago. So like the stone ages, uh, when we talk about uh, social media in some ways, but it was neat for us because we could track each different school, you know, so we had old schools that were, that had been in the league, like Connecticut and Cincinnati and USF. But then we also had new schools coming in like UCF and Keel and uh, Houston and, and East Carolina. And it was really interesting to see like which ones, because it wasn't always the the most, the biggest fan base wasn't the ones who would react most aggressively with, uh, with some stuff. Some were clearly more engaged. So I guess where I'm going with that is uh, I'm curious what, what are those kind of key metrics that, 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 groups should be looking at when they're thinking about a marketing plan using Facebook or, or really any of the digital tools you have, um, you know, experience with, what are some of the key characteristics for the, the people that you can identify um, and find value in? Yeah, I, I look at, uh, at two things. One is a mix of audience, total size, right? Cause I need scale, but then also engagement. So is it an audience where they have 2 million followers or, and then, you know, whenever they post or whenever they react, they get a, you know, 10, 15 comments, right? So that means you're not really engaging with your audience. You have a lot of people that are there. They may look, but they're really not that interested in you versus, hey, if I have someone that has maybe a third or a quarter of the followers, but they have, you know, a hundred comments or 10 times the amount of, you know, maybe, you know, 20 times the amount of conversation, then that means that's a lot more powerful. So and I'll use a prime example of this in a way. Um, when I was working on the NFL and leading the NFL work for Bud Light, we had uh, our own page that we would use and that we would have, you know, celebrities. So whether it was Shaq or Snoop Dogg or all these people, Nicki Minaj, like famous folks who come on, artists or, you know, uh, other things that would come to the Bud Light page, uh, we would be excited about that. But what I've noticed is we were always having people come to our page and our page, even though we're this big brand, we have a lot of people we still are so much smaller in comparison to these big artists or sports teams or uh, you know sports athletes. So what we would focus on is how do we make sure we're interacting with those fan bases where they are versus trying to always bring them to us. So what we would do was we would work with the Raiders or work with the Dallas Mavericks or work with various teams and how we could promote our product and in a, in a way that's authentic to the team, but then be able to just put it uh, to be promoted in their fan base because their fan base was more engaged and larger than ours as a brand. So I think that was one of the things that is a, a way of looking at things, um, especially if you're a team, if you're other like banner back and forth with other uh, teams may help as well. If you know that there's a fan base that is very, uh, is already pretty popular. They have a lot sizable, engaging crowd. Doing ways or tricks of making sure your 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 crowd gets more engaging. Uh, partnering with other areas, whether it's if a conference has more followers or your team has more followers as a conference owner, maybe reaching out to the different teams and making sure that you're retweeting that con uh, content or 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 re or sharing that content that they're building out, and then they're sharing your content. Um, and I think at the end of the day, um, I guess my final point too, and this is probably the most important one is content wins. So whoever has the best content is going to have the most engagement is likely going to have the most followers, but 
you know, that could be a, a different, you know, animal in terms of building and following, but the best content is always the place you want to be. Yeah. I think Keel and I were both laughing when you're talking about the competition element. I think that's one of the things that UCF has done really well. And I think you'd think it was, it would be a natural for fans. I mean, for teams, uh, because, that this is sports, right? There's a scoreboard and it's a win or loss thing. So you want to, you know, mix it up with your rivals, but uh, you know, there are some teams and some leagues that are hesitant to do it. I don't know if it's a political thing, if it's a, you know, just kind of an old school mindset, they think it's maybe beneath the brand or, or what, but I think that's one of those ones that everybody likes getting pumped up about uh, in a, a team that they have great affinity for, right? I think it's just, it's just natural. And, and you hit on something else that's really important about, going where the, where the people are. I think that's, uh, that's critical. You know, the, the company in, in the space in college is a company called Open Doors. I have a lot of friends over there that, that work there and they were one of the first to realize that this, that, hey, the, the individual player has a bigger, you know, audience a lot of times than a team, you know, so how can we provide them with the team specific messaging, the things that we want to get out, but also, you know, for college, let's, let's use our alums that are now NFL players. You know, I think UCF, I know UCF uses open doors and they put things out to Brandon Marshall or, or, uh, you know, former players that are in the, in the league now, and it just makes a big impact. So um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, I, I have to, I have to piggyback on what Mark is saying is that some of our most successful early on Facebook campaigns were when we targeted uh, Gator fans um, and we literally would pay to promote to engage Gator fans. And we literally would ask the question with a picture of who do you like more, Elbert or Nitro? And we'd have, you know, the Gator and the Knight up there, the mascots and dueling it out ready for a baseball game. But then we would link out to, you know, information about the game and how to get tickets. And, but the important part up front that we talked about was it's not about just revenue generation. It's about building a trust in a community relationship where people can find education learn about, the school, learn about what's changed since they've, you know, gone to UCF. But we did do what you were talking about in terms of engaging where um, the people were going to be most interactive um, with that content. And another campaign I wanted to share and then ask you about some of your experiences um, from, you know, your background uh, and roles that you've had. But uh, we ran a campaign. It was called Operation Blacktop. And, and I have to give a shout out to our graphic designer. He's one of the best in the industry. Um, he's now at the Atlanta Falcons because he got, he got stolen away. Um, but his name is Carlos Phillips. And he came up with this amazing all black basketball court design. So we're sitting in a room with our communications team and, and that and we said, you know, how are we going to promote this? What are we going to do? And it was just, a, I mean, I want to say it was like a week and a half before April 1st. And uh, a couple of us said, well, you know what, let's put out a fake court design and let's do a big social media campaign about the surprise of Operation Blacktop. And there'd been this rumor for a long time, not rumor, it was really a, the fans wanted black football helmets, but our coach at the time wouldn't allow that and said, no, I just, you know, I, it, for whatever reason, I don't know. But um, it became this big rumor of like, oh, are they going to do the helmets? Are they going to do the helmets? And, and, and that, but where I'm going with this is that we could have just, and some said we could have just done a press release, right? And just been like, all right, here's the new basketball court, check it out, it's exciting. But instead, we um, partnered with UPS, we printed out 250 court replicas, you know, laminated them, put the um, social media handles on them or URLs, and sent them to basketball um, beat writers, sent them to 
you know, engaged alumni, prominent alumni that had followings. And we said, we want you to be the first to know. Nobody else knows this. Tell us if you love it, hate it, you know, you can't wait or, or oh, this is so bad. Like, we don't care. Just, just talk to us about it. And within um, a couple days, we had over 3 million um, interactions on social media. And then that spiraled into a bunch of media, which literally turned into almost seven figures of media. And we invested $250 on these, on these laminated pieces and UPS covered the shipping. And UPS was a sponsor. They got all the promotion. And then we sold the most um, season tickets that year. There was other reasons to help, I will say, for basketball. But we sold the, the best season we had had around that big announcement. And all of that was driven through social. So I say that to say is people in this industry definitely now today recognize the power of social media. But over the past decade, all three of us have experienced some probably wildly successful and then wildly not so successful campaign. So what are some of the ones that, uh, that you've, uh, you've seen Corey? Um, it's interesting cause, cause non-successful is really, uh, I think at times you just put stuff out there to have it. Um, you know, for example, with the, you know, being at Bud Light, we would just, you know, you have to put things out. You have to kind of build up your community. You have to build certain things and always be on. Um, so stuff during summer, sometimes it'll just be folks on a, on a, a slip and slide and then they have a beer. It's, you know, it's okay. It's content. It's a small video or just a lot of times brands would be, you know, build their brand up. So it's like a still shot of their product and that's it. There's no, there's nothing funny. There's nothing interactive. It's like, Hey, don't you want one of these? And you're not going to get much there. Um, when you're able to incorporate it, that's where it becomes a lot more powerful. And I'll, I'll use this as an example, working with the NFL. One of the things that we used to do at Bud Light was we had our NFL program. We had our basic cans. We, we used to do like our, we had team cans where we would basically stick a logo on our team on, our, on a Bud Light can and say, okay, that's your team. Do it. And it's a small logo. And so one of the things, and it was very, very limited in space and in areas we were. So one of the things that I wanted to do was how do we become more engaged with our fan, the fan base and be really a fan of the fans. So we redesigned the cans to the color of the teams, made big logos and really made it as kind of a passionate fan base. And one of the insights we found really quickly is that teams in their local areas are fans of their teams or beer drinkers in local areas are fans of their local NFL team more than anything else. So even in New York, you know, 70% of the fans are either Giants or Jets fans. In Buffalo, I think, is the highest 85% of the beer drinkers there are Buffalo Bills fans. But basically, every city, every market, they're fans of their teams. So it gave up a great opportunity in the social space to have people write their can and use a can as a passion point. And we knew it was going to be something that people would put up in social media where they hold their can up to the screen and show that can um with the minnesota vikings logo or the baltimore ravens logo and we you know we go to during the tailgates at games or at home they would have their cans so much so that people would sell it on ebay you know have all these different cans and sell the, the empty ones on ebay for uh, a ridiculous price at times uh, but it actually gave a, a lot of opportunities for social media beyond just our channels but people were sharing it on their channels the teams were sharing it on their channels. So we were getting um, a, 
of enhancement of all these things that are being shared across, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the different areas. So I think that was one of the most successful campaigns we had. The other one I would I would say too is really being in the moment of sport. So with Bud Light, we uh, also sponsored the Mexican national team. We had the USA too. So Copa America was a big program we were doing. And basically, when I went to I went to the World Cup in 2014 in Brazil, and I remembered I was in I went to the U.S. game and they played Portugal, and then leaving at the airport, I saw a whole bunch of people with Mexican jerseys on. And I'm like, how are these fans with Mexican jerseys? Because Mexico never played here. And found out they were all American that were also rooting. They went to the U.S. game to root for the U.S., and then they were going to go to the to the next city to root for Mexico in those games. And so um, we created this idea in this. Um, we we hired uh, Chicharito Hernandez and then Michael Pena, the actor. Chicharito is like one of the stars of the Mexican soccer team, and um, to create this ad, and the ad went really well. Uh, we didn't know, though, that Chicharito was actually on the verge of breaking the Mexican national team's goal-scoring record and had no idea until I just researched it one day and then immediately went to our agency and was like, hey, we need to create something now because the tournament's starting and he could break this record, like, immediately. Like, let's go. And so we had, like, a two-day turnaround. We created the content. And then we were like, all right, how do we get this information out? So then we listed a whole bunch of influencers who were, um, you know, mainly Mexican-American and had um, ties to the Mexican national team and sent them the content. And we had pictures of Chicharito that we could show as well, you know, going like three, two, one, like in his fingers that we had photos of. And I'm like, how lucky are we? So we created that as well and pushed that out. And then the first game, so we got it done probably, you know, six hours before the game he played. He scored two goals. He was three goals away from breaking the record. He was two goals away from like tying the, I think two goals away from tying the record. He scored two goals. So we sent that out and literally we had people retweet that. And it was our most engaging social media ad of the year for Bud Light. And that was because it was in the moment. We had, luckily we had the content and then we got the right people to push out the content. And so, um, I think that's one of the things that I would always say is like, that was probably the best one of my career. And it wasn't even planned out. It was just in the moment and being, you know, there. And of course it's like Oreos when the Super Bowl went out as a Ravens fan, I was there and I, you know, seeing the, when the lights went out in new Orleans and in Oreo kind of, uh, you know, had that famous tweet around there. I think there's the best time is when you're in the opportunities and can you take advantage of it with the content with, with good content. You reminded me of something uh, when you said that about, you know, sometimes you just need content. If, if you're not having some missteps in that space, I think you're probably not not pushing the envelope enough. So, I mean, I think some some things that don't work are going to be, you know, it's, it's how it works in the digital uh, social media marketing game. And I love the point about uh, the, the NFL activation. And you said you're a Ravens fan. Unfortunately, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. And they had, uh, and I, probably right after you left, but... The, it took on kind of a life of its own when they had these uh, victory fridges that they were installed in around Cleveland when they were coming off the terrible 0-16 season. They were going to unlock these these fridges the, the minute they won their first game. And 
Um, it was, it was just something that everybody was talking about, you know, like in the fandom, I'm, you know, I'm not in Cleveland, I'm in Florida, but I was, you know, following along. Everybody's talking about these fridges that, you know, that they have cameras on them, you know, every game that they're going to break open. They had a, the, they started that season with a tie, which was really weird because then they couldn't even open it there. And uh, when they beat up, beat the Jets on the Thursday night game that uh, they, they just got so much run over that thing. And it probably just started there, you know, with like a, a little idea of how do we get some, some activation and how do we be part of these little moments that are going to happen anyway, you know, fans, especially Browns fans in, in Cleveland are going to be drinking a lot of beer. So it was really cool to see that kind of, that kind of activate. So um, I think we're at an interesting point now too, about, we talked about the, the audience size, you know, tapping into to influencers. I think we're in kind of a, I don't know, a new space where you know, the idea of influencers has been around for a while. Um, I don't want to say it's run its course. I don't think it has, but I think it's also the consumer has got this idea that, okay, there's more people out there, whether it's a celebrity or whether it's kind of one of these quasi celebrities who are almost famous for having a lot of Instagram views uh, for whatever reason, and they're going to hawk products. It's kind of how it works. People are more attuned to that. So they're, they're maybe their defenses are a little bit more up, but what do you, what are your thoughts on kind of where we are in the middle of 2020 where it comes to, uh, to influencer marketing? I think I, I, yeah, I think the term influencer is not the greatest term to use. I would use partner. If, if, if people can use it, when you use influencers, you make bad decisions. And in my career, I'm not going to speak specifically on this because it was, uh, but, um, you know, working a lot of times with celebrities, um, you know, you, if it's not a partnership, you can usually, it usually doesn't work out well. Um, meaning they'll give you the bare minimum. They'll shoot the, they'll shoot the, the shoots that you need them to do, or they'll promote things that you have to, they have to do on contract, but they won't go above and beyond. And so when I look at partnerships, what I usually look at, and especially with Bud Light, or if I'm looking at anything and trying to grow is one, someone who wants the opportunity of my audience in their life, like help them grow. And then us using them in our resources to give them a platform. So at Bud Light, a lot of times I would look at, okay, who's up and coming? And then how can our ads or our TV or things that we produce or things that we, we, we go above and beyond help them grow their profile? Because it's not going to be our social media network, but it will be us in either TV or radio or other types of ads that we can promote or events that we can build and feature them. So I think it's one of those things of figuring out how you can partner with folks. When I was at uh, Capital One, it was the same way when we were looking at people and it's, okay, how do we use people for a year? How do we use people for two years? How do we build over time instead of, I don't need them for three months or a one time assignment because that really doesn't benefit the organization or the brand because a lot of times they'll jump from one area to another. So someone who was drinking Bud Light you know, five years ago could be drinking Coors Light now or could be drinking Corona now. Um, and then that's where things become problematic because then you get things uh, separate from brands. So I think really the biggest thing is creating partnerships, try to create long-term partnerships. If there's a test phase, I think that can be built into like a contract to say, hey, let's work this out for three months, see if it works out for both of us. You know, if, if we don't like it, we can end it. If you don't like it, you can end it. But then if we we decide we keep going, then we would like this to be a year long commitment, two year long commitment to build and grow together. So that one, you can really nurture your audience. And then two, it's, and then two, it's authentic. 
Because at the end of the day, people can see through BS and what you really want to do is have a very authentic relationship with your audience and how you're, you know, promoting or speaking with them on a consistent basis. Yeah, Corey, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, there are so many partnerships out there that hit and miss. And then there's, you know, the few that they just slam dunk land and do so well. And, and I, I think not only is it, I think you identified a great point in terms of partnership. It has to be a two-way road. Um, but then it's also data, right? And, and Facebook and, and other social media are providing the tools where brands can see better data so they can match the right personalities, the right celebrities and profiles with their products. Um, you know, one example that I'll share that I, I just think has stood the test of time. It's one of the longest, most successful partnerships is um, Chris Paul and State Farm. Um, and you have Cliff Paul and the whole dynamic of the storytelling through, um, through that uh, through that launch that's been on TV and traditional media, but then also leveraged through social media. And there's a lot of other examples we could share. Um, but another thing I wanna ask you, you talked about earlier in the podcast about mentorship and people that have been mentoring you. Um, so who are some of the leaders in this space that you look up to or say at Facebook, who are some of the leaders that have helped you or even in your previous roles? Um, you know, who are some of the people that have opened doors or just inspired you to be able to be doing what you're doing today? I think for me, it's uh, it's been interesting. I, I would say there's been um, a, a, a few people. Um, I think one of my first bosses ever when I was at Cozy Shack and I transitioned over, um, she basically talked about my career and to focus on career, my ambitions and my passions um, over almost anything else. And I think that was really interesting because a lot of times, you know, depending on your boss and who you get, it's more about doing the work or doing the work at the org versus really developing you as a person, as a marketer, uh, you know, uh, moving forward. And so I was very lucky to have that individual be one of the first uh, people I ever worked for in my career. And I admired that in terms of when I ever managed teams or managed people that was my approach as well. Like I'm here to better you one, because if I know that that person knows I'm there for them, they'll work harder and they'll be able to deliver more and be, feels their value. And so that's kind of where initially I, that where I started, uh, you know, my career and then moving forward started getting uh, folks that I would, that had more experience and have navigated certain things um, with various backgrounds that could help me out. So, um, you know, when I was at, uh, you know, Capital One recently, one of the executive uh, VPs um, worked well with, with them who, you know, handled things about big launches, who was able to tell me about how they navigated, gave me insight in terms of, you know, different companies and just had experience of companies they worked with and giving insight there. Um, even recently at Facebook, um, the person who hired me here um, has been a great resource in terms of you know career development and you know what to do what not to do things that can make me better and i think that's always important to find is for mentorship find people who are willing to figure out ways to tell you how to become better one they can encourage you so it's not criticizing but then two give you constructive feedback on how do you become better how you can land certain things how to understand the industry that you're going into or if they don't, who to talk to, 
in how to make a plan. So I think ultimately um, finding those individuals are the best to, you know, how to make a plan. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in your field. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone in the industry that you're looking at, because I think experience and job experience and life experience all kind of come together at times and you can find mentors everywhere. So I would look at mentors in your industry, mentor in your field, and just a mentor in life and navigating life overall. Um, and having, you know, multiple mentors is always important. And I, I would suggest that. And if you're having trouble finding one, um, be vocal about it. Open up, whether it's your college, whether it's a, uh, a counselor, whether it's um, when you start a role and asking your boss or asking your boss's boss, like be very vocal about it because it's your career and it's your life. So I think those are things of the more vocal you are, the more someone will look out for you and the more someone will take you under their wing because they know you're passionate and you care about what you're what you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to be. Yeah, that, that's some really great advice, Corey. And, you know, we're, we're reaching our time here. And, you know, we ask all of our panelists and, and, and guests at the end just to look right into the camera and just share some words of inspiration for the students. Um, so I could ask, you know, you've just shared some awesome advice, but what last words do you have for these students as they go out and, and go into their careers? Yeah, I would say um, for students is you are young and I would I would embrace um, being young to go out, make mistakes, go out, take risks. Do not be afraid, especially early in your career. There's so much time and so much opportunity out there. You just have to step into it. Um, find people who will be you know, your backbone and help you out and understand how to navigate certain areas. But even if you don't have that, trust yourself, trust your instincts, trust your brain power to make it happen. And it will. So I think it's really ultimately staying positive in whatever environment you're in and just jumping both feet in. Join us next episode when we talk automated intelligence and machine learning with Ann Gaffigan, from Dimensional Innovations and Phil Van Horn from Data Robot.